Hello, hello, and hello, everybody. Welcome back for another episode. If not now, when? In today's show, I am so so honored and excited to invite one of the coolest person I met, Diana Brown, on the show with us today. Diana, she is early stage investor, innovation specialist, and startup strategist. As a 35 years old digital and content visionary, Diana is recognized for delivering extraordinary growth and innovation for some of the world's most influential brands, such as Yahoo, AOL. Today, she is a managing partner for PMC Venture in a new venture fund based in Austin, Texas. She is really, really passionate about supporting diverse team and mission-driven founders. So with that, everybody, I am so beyond excited. Please join me to welcome Diana to the show. Thank you, Wen. So let's jump in. Tell us how all the magic began for you. Well, I think、um, for me, life was very much just a series of questions and answers.、Mm. Uh, as a kid, I was always very curious, and I always felt like. Uh, if I didn't ask, I wouldn't know, and if I didn't know, I would be sort of left out. So this 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 early days wanting to be long, which we all have that feeling,、um, really led me on a journey that was、uh, about questions and answers, and not and and being very sort of in some cases bold, but other cases just very genuine about、mm-hmm. wanting to understand. Why other people were successful, why brands were successful,、mm-hmm. why businesses were successful,、um, and just that sense of belonging, that sense of connectivity.、Um, cut to, I played a lot of team sports as well growing up,、What、and that、um, basketball, volleyball, soccer, you know,、um, the like,、uh, and that teamwork was also a big part of my DNA and part of my. And again, the intent was to to grow my relationships as a kid、um, and become a part of something you know sort of bigger than myself.、Um, that 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 has been an also a、mm. repeated theme in my professional life. And why is that important for you, Diana?、Um, because I think that、um, collaboration and teamwork is in fact a solution. As well as an opportunity,、mm-hmm. I've yet to ever find a place or an environment or a business or even a collection of people where being collaborative, being team oriented,、uh, being part of something bigger than yourself wasn't fantastic, wasn't exciting, wasn't dynamic.、Um, one of the things to digress. One of the things I hear time and time again from entrepreneurs. Is how lonely it is,、mm. and how being a single founder is really, really challenging. And I understand that.、Uh, I've been blessed to be part of great teams,、um, and sometimes I'm the point guard and out front, and sort of the leader, the captain. Other times I'm just a supporting player.、Um, and but that belonging, that sense of collaboration, has just always been super important. And I think it's important to to entrepreneurialism at large. But back to your earlier question, you know, my story started as a kid, being curious, looking at things as journeys as opposed to endpoints,、um, and wanting a sense of belonging and, and collaboration.、Um, so out of university, I, you know, went to work for some really exciting and f- 
notable companies, uh, the New York Times being one, um, Condé Nast being the second. And it was at Condé Nast where I got an opportunity to get into digital. And that was in 1994, which was very, very early. That was the days of the dial-up modems and, you know, the, the, the pages with lows, like, painfully slow, and you'd be watching this photograph or this image come up. Um, and what I discovered very early on, especially working with many of the Condé Nast brands, who were very much about the paper stock and the photography and the visual expression of those brands, I thought, this isn't going to translate. And it was the first time that I thought, we need to rethink that the format, as they know in the media business. We need to imagine what is the value of a brand outside of paper stock and photography. And what was wonderful about the Newhouse organization or Condé Nast in general was they were very exploratory and they welcomed the opportunity to create something new like mm -hmm. Epicurious, which was the first website, and call it Epicurious and build a community uh, around recipes and food uh, to build... Uh, forums and old style, you know, kind of engagement mechanisms, way pre gamification and what have you. But just this idea that this brand, while it had these other brands anchoring it, Bon Appetit and Gourmet, it was really about that community. It was really about structured data, things that you would never worry about in a print environment. You you had an opportunity to think about in a digital environment. So instead of just building a magazine website, mm -hmm. we built a new brand from establishing brands taking advantage of the medium, which was interactivity, which was connectiveness, right? So being connected in the food space back in 1994-95 was the innovation. So it, that projected me into a, an orbit, which became <laughs> quite fun um, and a lot of work and a lot of exciting things where I launched – we launched – with founders, co-founders, I would launch businesses in in journalism and media. Uh, I would launch things in product and technology. I moved from New York City to uh, San Francisco for about eight years. I had a period of time where I was back in New York working with another big series of brands, Scripps Networks, which was Food Network and HGTV and DIY Network and, and the likes. And each time trying to take a step back and saying, what's the essence of the opportunity in digital? Because mm -hmm. at the time, and we're experiencing it now, we had Web 1, we had Web 2, now we're here in Web 3, yay. Um, each time we had to take a step back and say, what are what's the brand, the product, the service, mm -hmm. what is it about? And what does the technology enable it to do? And then bring me fast forward, um, Amongst all these wonderful startups with co-founders, venture-funded, uh, to big companies where they asked me to be an entrepreneur in a big company and sort of help express the business differently. Um, I came about the likes of Mr. Jay Penske, who had a very, very venerable business in print media and digital media, but was just investing, starting to invest in live event media. And that brings me to Austin, Texas, which is where we met. Wow. Magical. <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, I am so grateful you are in Austin, Texas. Allow me to uh, <laughs> to meet you. And I don't know you, if you missed the intro. I literally think you are the coolest person here. So oh my goodness. super honored and grateful. And wow, Diana, 
you live throughout the entire process, entire journey. You are such a visionary. You always see what is even before it's even manifest, and、mm. you're the one that leaving all the vision become true, which is wonderful. Well, let me thank you for that.、Um, I think one of the things that's worth noting, because I'm there are a couple of things I'm uncomfortable with. People ask me on occasion, your career. I don't know what that means, right? Quite candidly, career for me is my my body of work. I, I I think of myself almost in the artistic sense, right? I have a body of work. I have a collection of experiences,、uh, as opposed to a career, which seems very、um, sort of well thought out. <laughs> step one to two to three, right? Uh, uh, not at all.、Um, I. Really, am an entrepreneur by by nature, which is I see market opportunities. I gather the resources required. I I form the teams. I go out and you know sort of take the mountain, if you will.、Um, that doesn't sound like a career to me. That sounds more like a series of engagements, and as a result, so yeah. The, the same time, this idea of being a visionary, which is what、uh, sent me on this tangent, the visionary part. I would admit that first and foremost, I don't think of myself as a visionary.、Um, what I think of myself is someone who's paying attention、mm-hmm. and listens well. And by paying attention, you know, in the most recent decade, I watch for data signals. What are we seeing in the market around what's happening? And and is that a trend? Is that a leading indicator? Is that Something that is different from the last year or last five years, right? So, being very data centric,、um, I can see trends. I can recognize patterns. That feels less visionary and more just paying attention, just listening, just you know what have you. So, when I have jumped off and launched things, and or engaged in businesses or even invested in businesses in my、mm-hmm. current role. It's as much a, a conversation about what's what are the leading indicators. Why do we believe?、Mm-hmm. And it's that it gets back to that youth point I made earlier. I'm curious. I'm curious. Why do we believe that that's important? Why is that a leading indicator that you believe that this is going to happen? So I ask a lot of questions, and I ask questions of myself, and I ask questions of my entrepreneurs and people that I surround myself with. So it's less vision. And more questions, more data.、Um, I've been very lucky in some cases because I've been right on time, and then other times I've been about fifteen minutes early, and sometimes about fifteen minutes late. So we'll、um, the jury's out, if you will, <laughs> around how how visionary I am. But I am paying attention, and I am listening and watching for those signals. That's so beautiful said. I love that you just dismissified. What visionary really means? Yeah, and it's not just someone who sit there dreaming about the world. When one day the magic gonna show up. Right. Instead, you look at the number, you make a decision, you go out there, make it happen. And、yeah. I think that is such a beautiful explanation of what visionary truly means. Okay. Well, then in that definition, I'll, I will accept your compliment. Um. You mentioned about you were entrepreneur. Well, you always see yourself as entrepreneur. I'm、yeah. curious. Do you always know that about you, or when is the moment you realize, oh wow, that's my superpower? Um, I think 
I always looked at business as opportunities to learn and reimagine. And I love that word. That's that's for me what entrepreneurialism is. I mean, sure, does it mean running or launching or building a small business? Absolutely. But if you look at even some of the largest businesses that we see on the stock market or privately mm-hmm. held, you know, they one day started as a, a small a, a imagined business. Um, and they grew quite large and they grew either through acquisition or they grew through product development or they grew through, you know, um, parts unknown. But, but, but they all started with someone imagined a mm-hmm. service or a product need and built something and then uh, most likely tested and learned and tested and learned and, and so on and such. So the notion of being an entrepreneur is about being a person that recognizes and is flexible and agile and sort of engaged in business testing and learning, paying attention to the signals, listening to the customers. Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, getting back to just has a great team. Mm-hmm. Um, so entrepreneur, in my mind, feels like a agile, scrappy, hustling, disciplined business exec who sees market opportunities, right? Um, as opposed to venture-funded, hoodie-wearing, <laughs> you know, technology-driven software, you know, unicorn, right? Which is how the media businesses sort of made entrepreneurs look, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know a number of women in particular who in the last two to three years during the pandemic, mm-hmm. like yourself, launched businesses from their kitchens, right? Felt, saw an opportunity. And what that to me is as entrepreneurial as the Bay Area, you know, uh, young, a young male executive, white male young executive who got out of a university known as Stanford and is off building the next Facebook or what have you, right? No, entrepreneurialism is really about all of us and how it's an approach as opposed to a persona, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what is our mindset? How do we think about businesses? Um, Do you think that's born ability or is a learned capability? It's an absolute learned capability. Mm. I think even with the resilience, the agility, some of the some of the attributes that I described earlier, those are all things you can learn. Mm-hmm. Um, do people spend the time learning it? Do we teach business executives, mm-hmm. you know, those skills? Not enough, but is it was I born with this and you weren't? No, absolutely not. This is some of this was learned, some of this is inerrant, but it can be learned. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a it's not you're an entrepreneur and you're not, right? That's not the case. I love that. I think today the media world portray entrepreneurs in such a yeah. certain uh look or feel or age or whatever that word is. Yeah. 
Um, but I think you are absolutely right. I yeah. love that you said about entrepreneurs about learning and reimagine. Yeah, reimagine any tied up businesses. Yes, uh, and I think that is such a essence of what innovation truly means. Yeah, agreed. And I'm curious, you know, Diana, for your own personal journey, you are launching and、uh, supporting so many amazing businesses along the way. Were you ever afraid? You were mentioned back then that <laughs> earlier that it's a lonely journey, right?、Yeah. At that point, you know, I think we're not always, you know, are so lucky to have amazing supporting group that we are having today. Along the process of your own process, were you ever afraid of saying yes, jumping into something unknown? Um, I think fear can be healthy,、mm. um, and so the answer to the question is yes. I've been afraid,、um, but I've also been in, dare I say, big corporate environments where fear was palpable. Right? You could you could sense it in the culture, you could sense it in the leadership team, and so in those cases there was fear. So I don't think fear is exclusive to entrepreneurialism,、um, and I don't. And I would say honestly, I've been fearful, but I also、um, am such an optimist, and I get excited by opportunity,、mm-hmm. and I'm curious, and I'm bold, and you know, those are things that sort of override,、I、you know,、that. those few moments where you're like,、mm-hmm. should I be doing this? I think where we get hung up as a society, and which leads us to fear, is、um, is really tied to failure. This、mm. idea of failing. Let's talk about that. Yes, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people don't talk about failure enough, but they should. So let's. All right. Let's be the change we want to see in the world. Let's do it.、Um, what might be. Maybe the one of the biggest failures that you personal experiences, how that transformed you, began who you are today. Yeah, yeah. So、um, I would say that I have now seen three, if not four, market corrections, and each market correction has been a tremendous learning curve. And it's in those market corrections that I personally have been trying to raise capital. Are I've been struggling with a business from a revenue perspective, or I've had employee concerns or problems at the time of these market corrections, and when you're high flying, when you've got a bank full of money、uh, you just raised at a reasonable valuation, when there's all these things going well, there's not a lot of fear,、um, not a lot of anxiety. But when there's a market correction, societally-wise, we all get fearful. And what's happening in a test and learn environment, in an agile environment, in the good in the good days, is a lot of failure. But when you're trying to raise capital or you're sitting in front of a an environment like a market correction, like we have currently, you you see fear, and then and you see it across your investor LPs. You see it in your entrepreneur's eyes, and you stop failing. You stop testing and learning. And so, for me personally, there was a number of businesses that I was able to secure an exit for、uh, during some of those market corrections, and yet 
it was premature of what I would have liked to have seen the business do, but it was time to land the plane, right? Mm -hmm. It was time to, to do that. So I learned in a number of those occasions to listen to the market signals again, but also to listen and watch for the fear because any fear was going to create a, a condition which I like to refer to as a crisis in confidence. And when you have a crisis in confidence, whether it's at the board level, whether it's at the employee level, whether it's at the leadership level, people stop being open to testing and learning and to failure. So I have failed a couple of times, but I was able to land the plane and ultimately give back what was available to investors. Um, there were positions where I wasn't as successful as I would like, and there was that crisis in confidence, and so we were asked to, to, to liquidate or give the asset or, or sell the asset. Um, those are the moments that are hard. There have been, in many of those corrections, layoffs of people. Um, and my people management philosophy has always been, I work for you. If we're aligned on what your personal goals and our business goals are, and when we're not successful, no fault of yours or maybe not of mine because it's a market correction, and I have to let you go, that's, that's a really tough moment. Mm -hmm. It's tough emotionally. It's tough as a business executive because, again, this word failure will come up. I've failed you in some capacity. And... That's difficult for me to, to message to you, but it's, it's what I need to do because I need to obviously save the, the, the business at that point because that's my fiduciary opportunity or obligation. So failure is tough when people are involved, when you have to lay people off. Failure is tough when you have to sell a company premature of its vision, uh, of its opportunity. Um, but I just I see it all the time. It happens in very micro ways, and I see it in very big ways. Um, I don't think I've answered your question, but but I think you understand the philosophy about it, which is I'm not afraid of failure, um, but failure does create a fearful environment. When you have a fearful environment, it's challenging to manage boards, investors, employees, but you just do the best you can. So how would you, in those challenging environments, yeah. to keep going? in the presence of crisis in confidence? Well, you know, it's interesting. I didn't mention this earlier around entrepreneurialism. One of my sort of skills in this context is this idea that I don't quit. Um, and I think many of the great entrepreneurs don't quit, right? There's a, belie a fundamental belief that you need to explore every possible opportunity bef before letting go of something. So I'm somebody that has fueled and excited and keeps going because I believe that I'm not going to, I'm just not going to quit. Are you always this way? Always. That's so magical. Well, I mean, it wasn't apparent until I had opportunities where I thought I should quit now. Mm -hmm. But um, but no, I just, I still to this day believe that I just won't quit. I won't give up. I love that. 
Um, what do you think is your superpower, Diana? You come a long way.、Mm. You see so many market corrections. You let people go. You importing people. You you have been through every possible situation scenarios there exists on this planet. What do you think is your superpower to help you come this far? I think by all those examples you just suggested, I'm old, which I am.、Um, I've lived through all the market corrections, all the tough economies.、Um, superpowers. Um, I, you know, I think、uh, what I've been told、mm-hmm. about myself is that I listen very well.、Mm-hmm. I actively pay attention and I listen. I listen to what you're saying. I listen to what you're not saying. I listen to how you're saying something, and I'm paying attention to you as much as the information you're sharing, and that. Allows me to manage the situation, to manage your contribution, my contribution,、um, and sort of make sense of the conversation. And you could be a customer, you could be an employee, you could be a supervisor or a boss for me, you could be a board member, you could be an investor,、uh, you could be a friend or a colleague. Right? Paying attention to you and listening is what people have said is something that I do well. Um, but I think again, when we talk about superpowers, I don't know. I, I, again, I would refute the visionary statement as much as I'm paying attention.、Uh, again, listening of a different sort, listening to market signals and, and what have you.、Um, I might come back to what we just said, which is、um, I just won't quit. Right. I love that. I just will keep going until we've exhausted ourselves. I love that. So what I see is you are this quote-unquote visionary. You don't have to like it. <laughs> Someone who are a, a master leader, where who noticing the number, the trend, the people, what lights you then up. I feel like you almost have this master conductor. You're、mm-hmm. like behind、mm-hmm. all the amazing instrument, and you just、yeah. observe what works, what doesn't, and you know what sounds come together in the most. Beautiful way, and you're the one that sit in your seat, being the leader seat, directing where go what.、Mm. And when you have that vision, now you have the tenacity. So I think it's one that vision plus the tenacity truly、mm. become that、uh, that superpower, support you to achieve all the success you are today. Well, I like the analogy,、uh, in the sense that I use that analogy on occasion, which is that I am an orchestra conductor. But here's the nuance that I think is relevant, and and I'm also very proud of this term. I'm an operator, right? So while、mm-hmm. I'm an entrepreneur, I'm also an operator. And when I use that orchestra analogy, I can say to the first chair string instrument person, "I played that instrument before,、mm, so I, I am appreciative." Of how you play,、mm-hmm. the quality of the sound,、mm-hmm. but you need to trust me、mm-hmm. that your sound is part of a bigger sound, and that's one of those things that those relationships, those conversations、mm-hmm. with talent, and talent is so much a part of leadership and management, which is. Being able to say to someone, "I've played your instrument before, and I understand it."、Mm-hmm. And when I was managing engineers. Very early on in my career, back in the late '90s、uh, at Condé Nast,、um, 
I didn't write code. I didn't play their instrument. But I paid attention to how they did their jobs and what was fulfilling or rewarding for them so that I could say, look, I don't play your instrument, but I appreciate how you do it and I'm paying attention to how you do it so that I can create the right environment for you to do this, mm -hmm. right? So the orchestra conductor is a good one in terms of an analog. And being able to say to someone, I'm an operator, and being able to say to someone, I've done the work you're doing and it's really difficult and I understand that. Mm -hmm. Empathy, um, engagement. Uh, I think that's important in, that. in, the, in the now management or leadership or some of those things because there are a lot of people with a lot of money out there willing to invest in companies um, not all of them, in fact, many of them have not operated businesses, mm -hmm. have not played those instruments. So when you're, when you're talking to entrepreneurs, when you're talking to talent, when you're talking to people who have ideas, who want to, to imagine or reimagine a business, you know, having credibility as an operator, I think is important. Mm -hmm. I want to share this one thought, and I thought maybe you'll appreciate this. I love everything you just shared. The way how I see it is, if I look at all the talents on the whole world, and I'm yeah. kind of generalizing it, which I don't like to do that, but there are ultimately three types of talents on this planet. Mm -hmm. And just play with me. First type, I call it visionary. Mm -hmm. He or she has this amazing vision. They can see something from nothing. He or she is someone like Bill Gates, some, someone like Elon Musk, can just, wow, can see something just so beyond everyone else can see. That's one type of person. Second type is I call it uh, Operation Geniuses. Mm -hmm. He or she, if I say, hey, Diana, let's go to the moon. You say, no problem when there are three steps. A, B, C, boom, we are in the moon. Mm -hmm. That person just able to see things in the very grounded way. And without this type of you know, wonderful leader in the world, the house is not being built. Yeah. The, the car is not being drive. And you know, we can't be here without those amazing people. Yeah. The second type. The last type is someone I call it people, people. Mm -hmm. He or she are just amazing at leadership, at seeing people, at yeah. recognizing what drives, what, what what lights people up. And if you think about this three triangle, in any team, any environment, any friendship, any partnership, each and every one of us ultimately have one driving force. So maybe someone could be visionary, but their subcategory will be people, people, or operations. But in any given team, ideally you want to have those three energies present. Yeah. Someone say, okay, let's go to the moon. Wonderful. There are three steps. And then you got people, leader, orchestra, the right people, right team, and share the vision with the whole world. Mm -hmm. So essentially that's a almost like ultimate triangle. Mm -hmm. And as you share, I was like, oh my God, you just hit all three in the most magical way. And it's so beautiful. Well, I would agree with your three types of people. I, and you also alluded to this, which I think is important. I think we all, hopefully, if we're successful or in success, we have all three of those. Elements, we do. Right? It is really a question of whether that is how you present yourself mm -hmm. in the first moment, in first engagement, or is that something that comes out in you when you're further down a process or a road? Is that something that happens when you're stressed? Or is that something that happens when you're when you're feeling comfortable, right? Um, and so how you lead um, 
is based on those three types of personalities. Um, I would say I'm personally stronger probably in the what you term as visionary, which I think is more imagination based on, you know, some some data signals. Uh, but I am the person that can tell you how to get from A to B to C to D. Um, well, I'm not the most detailed individual, so I like to hire people who are very detail-oriented. And then on the people side, I'm a bit of an introvert, which you know. Um, <laughs> but I don't have a problem walking into a large group of people as somebody leading mm -hmm. business to have a very thoughtful conversation and be about and recognize what is happening to them is of them, and, and, and I, they're an extension of the idea, right? Without them, this idea means nothing, right? So I can be that people person. I can be that, that, that connector on the operations side, and I can obviously come up with some of the ideas. But I think we're all three, mm -hmm. and this is another area where I think people can develop skills, mm -hmm. right, and their processes. But what it also brings up for me when I think about these things, is how important hiring is as an so entrepreneur. So important. And I love what you said about, it's, I feel like it's not about how, it's about who. Yeah. Because you're right, we all have three natural talents, but generally speaking, one of, one of those elements are something that we're naturally good at. Right. There's also secondary, but there's just one part is just, doesn't matter how hard I try, I would yeah. never able to make this beautiful wall as yeah. great as people made it. Right. So this one part about, I believe it's, it's not about how it's about, about it's about who. Yeah. What about you? Well, and that brings me to hiring, right? So one of the things I see as challenges for businesses that I either inherit to reimagine or that I'm investing in or that I sort of see in the market is culture, good culture and bad culture. Mm. And bad culture comes from a number of places, but sometimes bad culture is the results of bad hiring. And hiring is really critical for an entrepreneur to spend time thinking about. And it really is about complementing themselves, mm -hmm. right? As opposed to hiring other versions of themselves, right? So in a world 15 years ago, the conversation was about if you're an engineer who thinks like an engineer does, don't hire a CFO or a head of sales or a head of people or a head of um, marketing that thinks like an engineer because you're like-minded, mm -hmm. right? Um, because you get along, because you because those people are a half a step from you. They're part of your sort of circle. Um, you're going to have to work a little harder. You want to find people who think differently than an engineer. And you want to have an open, transparent, and very engaging, you know, week-to-week, day-to-day kind of thing with those people you hire. Um, many people 10, 15, 20 years ago would hire people that acted and looked and felt like themselves. We fast forward to the last five to seven years, um, it's never been more apparent to everybody that not only do you not want to hire people that think like you, you need to even be 
more adamant and more disciplined about hiring people who don't look like you, who don't come from the same backgrounds. So it's one thing for an engineering lead who's a CEO to hire a bunch of engineering people that went to the same university they went to and they look the same and they're from the same town, basically. It's another thing to say, what do I really need around this table in terms of gender, sexual preference, race, geography, and again, how do they think, right? And so how people think was something we got smarter about as a, as, as a society 15 years ago, 10 years ago. What we're starting to really understand is, is inclusion. What we're really starting to understand is to hire and find people who don't look like us, don't speak like us, don't come from the same backgrounds, don't come from the same universities, maybe don't go to university at all, right? Um, and you know, really sort of, and, and dare I say, let women into the room, right? So it's like there's so much to do in that space. We're far from even a quarter way into that, into the, to that understanding. So that, in my mind, is why I'm excited about not just investing in companies, but also, you know, I'm likely to go off and launch a company. Sky's a limit. I mean, why not, right? Why not? I'm, I don't think you can be ever too old to be an entrepreneur. No. So, no. Yeah. I think I love what you just said. I think that self-awareness is such a beautiful piece. Yeah. And knowing that who you are, knowing who else needs to be surrounded on your table so yeah. we can really, I tell people, stronger together. Mm -hmm. I tell people as Asian that we're good at math. The yeah. math that we love to do is one plus one equals three. Yeah. I truly believe that when you bring the right people on the table, when I bring my full authentic myself, when you do the same, one plus one equals three. Yeah. And that all coming from the self-awareness and the, and the discernment, seeing the truth. Yeah. Because it will be comfortable to hire someone exactly like you, exactly things like you, or yeah. have a, you know, you all go golfing once a day, yeah. or whatever that might be. Yeah. No, it's it's not lip service, and it's not even tokenism, right? It really is about, and you you said it very eloquently as well, which is. You, that's another skill that we'll add to that entrepreneur list, right? Which is, are, they, are you self-aware to know not just your, what your success looks like and what fear looks like, but really, where are you strong in that triangle? Uh, where are you strong from a skills perspective? Where are you strong or weak as a manager? Um, you know, and, and what are your limits? And, you know, and, and sometimes, many times with entrepreneurs, they are rewarded with their focus, right? Their very tunnel visions focus because that's what it takes to get a product or service to market, right? That's what it takes to raise capital. That's what it takes to do the checklist of things that you have to do when you're launching a business. Um, what's challenging is that's not what a business needs ongoing mm -hmm. it you know leadership broadly speaking is ideally a group of people but it's wide angled lens to say what are what are what are things that we're considering and 
getting those opinions and getting those insights as well from your leadership team is really how to, how to drive forward. Um, without it falling prey to um, sort of uh, collective decision-making, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a point where leaders stop leading and they just vote democratically, right? Um, that's a small d, by the way. But uh, <laughs> that this idea that, you know, people are all equal that's not true. It's it, it, people have varying responsibilities, and therefore decision making needs to be owned in, in certain places. And regardless of title, by the way, the CEO doesn't make all the decisions. Ideally, the head of engineering makes the engineering decisions, and hopefully, the CEO is making funding or people decisions. But but candidly, it's this idea that listening and being open, and the lens being open wide to take in those discerning opinions is the responsibility of the decision maker. The decision maker should be a leader in that, in that context. But it is an important part of entrepreneurialism. I love that, Adam. And you touch base on success. I'm yeah. curious, Deanna, what's your definition of success? And for that, do you think you are successful? Hmm. Well, the success for me historically, and I would actually even say currently, is tied to the ability to keep doing what we're doing um, until it's no longer viable or interesting. So if I think about companies and, and teams and, and what have you, there's so much around the, the imagining, the building, the growing, the evolving, et cetera, that is really dynamic. And it's only when something, the market evaporates or something changes materially outside of your control that that business, that team, that environment is no longer viable um, or you've stopped evolving and engaging and, you know, uh, paid attention to where you should be going. So success is this ability to keep doing what you're doing, assuming that you're continuing to be dynamic and, and respond to market opportunities and, and to people. Um, it's, it's not much more than that, right? Um, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not the entrepreneur that's been concerned about wealth. Um, as much as I've been concerned about what are the products and services and what are my opportunities in developing those products and services that is gonna move society forward, right? I've never been someone who's uh, been a part of a team who's built a product that doesn't serve society. I've been overly concerned about some of the trends in the world that are, are hurting society. Um, but success is really this ability to keep doing what we want to do and 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 make the, the world a better place. I love that. Keep dreaming. What are you <laughs> dreaming about? I will we'll keep dreaming about it for sure. So what drives you today? You talk about success and all about keep doing what excites you at the moment. What drives you? Yeah, I mean I'm super excited about opportunity for women. Um now 
granted, we all know the statistics, especially in venture capital. You know, we're still sitting around two, two and a half percent of women are getting funded. Um, we had a banner year in 21, it looks like, 22. We've kind of pulled back a bit, unfortunately. Um, so there's a lot of room to grow in that space. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's a conversation that's happening, right? And it wasn't happening five years ago. Um, I think mixed uh, leadership teams and bringing in different voices and different nationalities and different uh, and more women and more uh, diversity uh, around people is also a conversation that's happening. It's not about venture funding at this point. Now it's about just businesses. Are we really paying attention? Are we are we letting the right people lead? I'm starting to see some of that. Mm -hmm. um, I would be, um, I'd have to be honest to say I'm still not seeing enough of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I would like to see in business in general, outside of venture, I'd like to see a lot more women running businesses. I'd love to see a lot more women on boards and and, and the like. Um, so, you know, startups, women, mixed founder teams, great. We're making progress. We have a lot of room. Uh, businesses that are existing, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, private equity, growth-driven companies, we need a lot more engagement from diverse leaders as well as women there. And then I think in the big um, markets and, and governments and other institutions, again, um, I subscribe to the fact that there has been a demographic that has led the last 20 or 30 years of business um, and has provided us with some opportunities, but I think we're far from where we need to be as a society. And I think that it's time for women to, to step up and, uh, and engage at those levels um, because it's our, it's our turn. It's our time. It's our time. Wow, so beautiful. I love that you're just so laser-focused and so passionate about people. Yeah. I can tell that's one of your core values, what is supporting female founder or just a diverse voices, diverse leadership. And, mm -hmm. and I think you're right. It is our time. I really believe that when we all come together, when we all win together, yeah. it is a win-win-win world for everybody. Yes, absolutely. So tell us more about you today, Diana. Mm. What are you up to today? And... Tell us more. Yeah, so um, you and I met uh, when I first moved to Austin. Um, almost, Magical time. Almost a year ago. And uh, what has happened in the last year has been really enlightening in terms of uh, the South by Southwest organization is where I sit um, with um, partnership with Penske Media uh, around a venture fund. And in that last year, we've invested in nine companies, and we've uh, all Interestingly enough, diverse uh, founders, which is exciting, um, and or minorities uh, who've been uh, without funding is a part of the mix. Um, but we've also looked at 470 companies, and that was um, a lot of exciting opportunities, but a lot of hours really sort of understanding what does modern-day entrepreneurialism look like. And um, so we're excited going into this next year and next cycle with the festival 
to continue to invest in companies. And our thesis is not just to invest in the 48 hours of the pitch fest, which is part of South By's history, um, but to really get to know companies and through the alumni network, through the advisory networks that South By has, to really see and discover talent along the way. Um, what I have in the last six months also been very much passionate about is, um, candidly, is bringing women's professional soccer to Austin, Texas. So Soccer? Soccer, football, as they say in <laughs> England. Um, and it's led me to a really interesting path around women's sports, and uh, it's something I'm personally investing in and uh, – you know, think that there's a big opportunity for women in sports in the next five to 10 years. So uh, stay tuned on that. But I um, think that my relationship with South By will continue and go forward. Um, but I think I'm going to spend a fair amount of my waking hours thinking about uh, football here in Austin. <laughs> wow, so exciting. Yeah. You never cease to amaze me, Deanna. <laughs> That's exciting. And wow, uh, congratulations. And do you only looking for early stage? What kind of founder are you looking for that he yeah. or she maybe can come to your way yeah. with that? Um, yes. The thesis for the South by Southwest Innovators Fund is early stage, pre-seed and seed, mm -hmm. uh, global investments uh, where there is a talented team mm -hmm. and an addressable market. Beautiful. That is sizable and global in scale, mm -hmm. where technology can be an accelerant or a disruptor. Um, and we have expertise in our advisory network around eight different sectors, mm -hmm. which includes media and Web3, of course. But it also includes, um, you know, direct-to-consumer, um, climate tech, ed tech, sports tech, uh, food tech, you know, a number of areas that future of cities, future of workplace, um, you know, a number of areas that South by sort of has expertise. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's broad and it's wide. Uh, it's focused on team and TAM. It's pre-seed and seed. It's small check. But we also believe that our value is more than capital. Mm -hmm. It's community. Mm -hmm. And we think that that will, should advantage us. Um, but most importantly, we're here in Austin, Texas, and we're co-investors. So we also look to support an ecosystem of venture capitalists and high net worth individuals and even small funds. Uh, we look to support them with co-investing as well. That's exciting. And just uh, technically, how do you define C and early, like pre-seed? I know it's a very large... Yeah. yeah. So pre-seed, what I've advice. witnessed in the last few months, if not year, is pre-seed to us is either first institutional money. Got it. Outside of angels and friends and family. Okay. So friends and family and angels may come to us uh, with a note, a convertible note or a safe. Got it. And that's usually the first check is pre-seed. Seed is usually the round where... They are on a path to product market fit, and they're on a path. They understand their customers, um, and yet they haven't had a chance to demonstrate mm -hmm. product market fit or customer or go to market. I love that. So much possibilities. Oh, yes. Wow. Amazing. 
Um, well, Diana, you also mentioned that one day you might start a product yourself or yes. company yourself. Do you yeah. have any ideas? Um, I think it's uh, likely to be um, in the women's sports space. I can totally see that. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. You're gonna really be the change you want to see in the world. Absolutely. And making the world a better place one day at a time. Absolutely. That's so amazing, Diana. And thank you and thank you. Of course. Uh, you have personally whether it's invest or advice or you know supporting founders, you know, mm-hmm. across all the segments, all the sectors. And I'm curious, what are the top maybe like one or two mistakes you see founder made that he or she can't really avoid? Okay. So I think we spoke a little bit about this, but I think the advice around things to avoid mm-hmm. is, you know, is in the hiring space. People. Is to really in the people space. You know, make sure you're hiring people who are complimentary, be mm-hmm. discerning, don't hire too quickly, hire, you know, uh, don't go outside your network when you hire, you know, really do the work mm-hmm. to find the right mix of people to to share your company and your vision with. Um and then I think secondarily, I would, um, it sounds like a cliche, but I wouldn't wouldn't hesitate to explore a lot of opportunities until you find the right one, which means in translation that you will in fact fail a fair amount mm. and not be afraid of that. Um, because a failure an opportunity is an opportunity to learn right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in success, many times we're just on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I have met some really talented business executives who have, in success, asked the questions, why are we successful? And what are we doing correctly? That is the way to think about success, because again, it's going to enable you to continue doing what you're doing. But Make sure that in failure, in success, regardless, you're asking the questions why. Mm. You're looking deep into what are the circumstances of this happening and is it repeatable and then is it sustainable? Um, Because it's really, dare I say, not about the numbers. It's really about the why. It's, you know, which is also obviously people have done a good job with explaining that. I love that. Seeing the truth. Seeing what works, what doesn't work, and why is that? Yeah. And you talk about the why, Diana. What is your why? Um, my why, I think, goes back to just being curious and ultimately constantly wanting to learn mm. and to really be a part, belong to a community, belong to a team, belong to an organization, a city, a, a market, Um and getting to do what I like to do each day. I love that. My last question to you is, yes. Diana, one day, we all long cease exist. What do you want your Greystone to say about you? Mm. Let's see. Um, first off, I'm not sure I will have a plot. I think I'll be likely scattered someplace. I want to be in the ocean. Yes. Yes. So, But if you if you think about reputationally with what you're asking. Um, I think, you know, if I look back, I'd like to be the person that listened and learned and loved, right? Aww. And I think the the loving is, yeah, sure, I love a good idea. I love a good win, you know, what have you. But I, I really enjoy and appreciate and love the journey, you know, uh, as opposed to that thing, mm-hmm. right, over there. 
Um, so I, I want to be known for listening and learning and, and also but enjoying in that wealth of excitement that happens by, by being successful. So beautiful. Listened, learned, and loved. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Uh, Deanna, once again, you never cease amaze me. That's such a beautiful three words truly summarize who you are as a leader, as a visionary that you are today. And I can definitely see how you, amongst all the amazing success, come to this point. So truly, thank you and thank you. Saying okay. yes to me a year ago when we met first time in Austin, yep. Texas. Say yes to me today to be in this amazing, amazing journey with us and also share your wonderful story. So thank you so much, Deanna. Well, thank you. All well, right. thank you everybody for listening today. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. I cannot wait to see you all next week. Bye, guys. <laughs> Thank you.